In the 1950s, far away in Bangkok, there was a statue of Buddha in a Buddhist monastery, an old statue covered with clay, made out of clay, dirty, brownish colored. The monks noticed it developed a large crack in the side and so they were thinking about whether or not they needed to just replace it, get rid of it, restore it, probably just knock it down. It looked so worn out and dirty. One of the monks happened to walk up closely to the statue though and look right into the crack. And there inside the statue, he could see gold. They realized that it must have been centuries earlier, lost to their history, but that the monks centuries ago had covered a golden statue with clay to keep it safe from the invaders. And if the crack had not developed in this statue, and if they hadn't taken the time to look into the crack, they would have never known that this statue was actually made of gold. That gold was at its heart. Joseph was a tattletale. Joseph was a spoiled brat. Joseph was the favored child of his father Jacob. And anyone who's been a parent knows you're not supposed to play favorites. Because what does it do? It causes all kinds of animosity between the children. But Jacob couldn't help it. Joseph was born of his favorite wife, Rachel. It took him forever to even get to marry her. He had to marry his sister first, her sister first, and then the servant women. He has four wives, God bless him. <laughs> By the time he actually marries Rachel, and then she can't have a child, and all of his other wives have plenty of sons, but finally Rachel has this son, Joseph, and Jacob just can't help himself. He just adores this boy. Uh, which makes him kind of a brat. Jacob gives his son this beautiful robe with long sleeves that he doesn't give any of his other sons, and that doesn't help matters any. Joseph is also prone to dreams, and he tells his brother that he has a dream where they bow down to him. How do you think that goes? Joseph finds his brothers tending the sheep out in a field. And as he's approaching, because it is such a vast land and so arid, so few trees, they can see Joseph coming. And they decide they want to kill him. Luckily, one of the oldest brothers, Reuben, says, let's not do that. But what they do to Joseph cracks a hole in his life that he will never, ever forget or even truly recover from. 
They traumatize him. They abuse him. They take their brother and they throw him in a pit. And when traitors come by, they sell him as a slave. And then they go back and tell their father that he's dead. Not really thinking, acting on the impulses of jealousy and youth. And then they have to watch as their father suffers for years. Joseph's life goes from a one of privilege and prosperity to one of virtual horror. He is not only a slave, but he comes, becomes framed by his slave master's wife and thrown in prison. But it's from prison that his interpretation of dreams leads him to the Pharaoh himself. And when Joseph is able to interpret the Pharaoh's dreams correctly about the famine that is to come, Joseph ends up being second in command to the ruler of all of Egypt. And when the famine comes, he is actually able to save the lives of his own family members who are starving. And none of this would have happened were it not for the crack in his life, were it not for the trauma, the horrific stuff that he had to go through. It made him who he was. If Joseph had lived in comfort, the favored child of his father, and none of the bad stuff had happened, his whole family would have died. There is a wonderful, mystical Christian theologian whose name is James Finley. He spent many years in a Trappist monastery, which is a very severe form of uh, Roman Catholic monk. They don't speak hardly at all. I mean, at all, at all. After years as a Trappist monk, James Finley begins to teach, and he has a wonderful podcast, by the way. It's called Turning to the Mystics. You might want to listen to it sometime. It's beautiful. But James Finley attributes his profound relationship to God to a traumatic moment that happened to him when he was four years old. At just four years old, he was in bed at night, and he lived in a really, really dysfunctional family. His father was a raging alcoholic. That night, he was in bed, and he was four, and he was listening to his father beat his mother outside of his bedroom door. And his mother was crying. And at four years old, he prayed to God and said, Lord, please take me to a safe place with you. And he felt this golden light encompass him. And he understood at a profound level that he could not have articulated with his four-year-old vocabulary. He knew that he was with God and that he was safe, even though he also knew that probably the next day his father would beat his mother again and probably him too. But he knew that at the heart of his very being, God was there. 
and that it was this place filled with light, this golden place where he was safe and he was loved. And it was that experience that drove him into the monastery to find that beauty again. James Finley would later write that there is a place at which trauma touches transcendence. Let me say that again. There is a place at which trauma touches transcendence. That ironically, it is the cracks in our life, it is the difficulties, the struggles, that often cause us to break apart in such a way that we become the fullness of who God has called us to be. And that without that struggle, we would never discover who we truly are. In a way, this is at the essence of our faith, for we believe that it was in the cross, the horror and injustice of the cross, that Jesus could show himself fully to us, that we could understand what eternal life really means and what forgiveness looks like. When you think about it in the gospel, the disciples are way out in this boat, right? And it's a storm, and Jesus walks on the water to them. But he wouldn't have walked on the water if they had been really close. They had to go way far away. They had to be separate and in the darkness and in the storm for this incredible miracle to happen for Jesus to walk on the water to them and show them the fullness of who he is and was. And when he does that, Peter realizes that he has the same thing within him. So he steps out on the water himself and does this miraculous thing until he gets a little self-absorbed and begins to get afraid and then starts to sink. You were born this beautiful child of gold, child of the light, this miraculous being with infinite potential. But your life, the busyness and the neuroses and the things we're taught and the things we aren't taught, they all cover us up with clay and we forget who we are. And ironically, it's the hardest things in life that you go through that can cause you to break open again, to recognize your own strength, to recognize the miraculous, resilient human being that you really are. It takes struggle for us to wake up and walk on water. You know, we are in a really hard time. It is hot, is it hot? It is hot. It is hotter than it has ever been in human history. I am hot. And we see this devastation on Maui and almost 100 people as of this morning dead in these fires. But this is it, my friends. This is our moment. This is our struggle, our trauma, where the transcendence will meet us. This is the crack. Who will we become as a human race? What will we do in response to this dramatic warming of our planet? 
Now is the time to remember who we are, that we're capable of so much more, and we somehow, in our busy, crazy lives, have forgotten our infinite abilities, our miraculous God-given natures, the golden child of God that lies within you, waiting to be uncovered. So let's get to work, my friends. This is not the end, it's just the beginning. Like Joseph, we are being called on a journey and we will discover who we are, who we've always been in Christ. Amen.